Let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to Judges chapter 6. 16, excuse me. Judges 16. Judges 16. Okay, you there? So we've been working our way through the book of Judges. Samson's the last judge in the book of Judges. And after every judge, you see this, they were members or they, they judged for so many years. For Samson, it says he judged at the very end of chapter 15. He judged for 20 years. And there's a pattern here we see with all the judges that it'll say like Gideon judged a certain amount of years. And then when Gideon died, they fell back into their sin. Samson represents Israel as a whole. And so what we see is chapter 15, verse 20, Samson judged Israel for 20 years. And the next thing we see is Samson visiting a prostitute. And you're like, why? What? Samson is the last judge. He's a picture of Israel. And so is the story of his life. As judges, the book ends, so Samson, his life ends as a picture of Israel. So if you would, read with me, and we'll start at Judges 16, verse 4. After this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, seduce him and see where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him. And we will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound that one could subdue you. Let's stop there. Please pray with me. Father, Samson is a story of dependence. There's remarkable work of the Spirit through faith and through dependence upon you. And when self-dependence takes over and pride, when we begin to look at our own strength, we begin to fail spiritually in so many things, love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, the power of God in so many ways, your power seems to dry up in our lives. I, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would take your word and teach us profound things about your glory, but also about our own hearts. And when we leave here, after we take the Lord's Supper, God, I pray that our hearts would want to sing of your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. After the mutiny on the bounty in 1879, you might know the story, there were nine mutineers, and they were put ashore on a tiny little island called Pickering Island. They were put ashore, and there there were six native men, ten native women, and a 15-year-old girl. 
And things seemed to be going pretty well until Ned Young, one of the leaders, succeeded in distilling a very crude form of alcohol. And everything turned to custard after that. There were small wars. There were deaths. Nearly all the mutineers died. It was savage murders. It was a horrific place. Infighting. Jealousy. They were all killed except for two. James Adams and Ned Young. And as they were searching through the belongings of the men that had been killed, they came across a Bible and a book of common prayer. And they began to read it. James Adams and Ned Young were radically converted. They came to know Jesus perfectly. I mean, personally. And they, they set out building a society that would honor God. And the change was so dramatic that years later, when a boat and visitors came, they found what they called a model society that was completely safe and Christ was the center and lives were radically changed. This is much like the Christian experience, right? There is real change in our desires by the power of the Holy Spirit when we come to know Jesus personally. We become something new. We see, we experience the power of His grace in tangible ways. It transforms us from the inside out. But over time, we can easily develop this overconfidence in ourselves. It begins to take us away from a position of grace and dependence to a place of relying upon our own strength to persevere through trials or maybe our own smarts to figure out what decisions and difficult times or maybe your beauty to get through and get the attention that you long for. And finally, the fulfillment of our sinful desires to satisfy us. Judges 16 this is how a mighty Nazarite set apart from birth, filled with the Holy Spirit, becomes a broken and common man. Samson went from being a judge, filled with the Spirit and power, to blind, enslaved, and powerless. How? Because he, he plays a game with the source of his power. God's presence, and he loses. So here's our main idea today is that we are blind, we're enslaved, and we're powerless without the power of God. Three things we want to see as we dive in. First is Delilah. Start there in verse 4. If you'll look in your Bibles with me. Verse 4. After this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sork whose name was Delilah. Stop there. You, you don't know if she's a Jew or if she's a Philistine. You, but what you do know is she's the only woman in Samson's life that's ever mentioned by name. And so you, you, you begin to figure that she's a very prominent person in his life. And this text says that he loved a woman. In other words, he, he cohabitated with her, right? But we don't see him taking her home to meet mom like we did his, his first life. She, she seems to be a woman that knows how to manipulate him to get what she wants. Probably a prostitute, but we're not totally sure of that. And the fact is they are openly dwelling together. 
Verse 5. Everybody knew it. The lords of the Philistines came to her, five of them at that time. And they certainly knew Samson's weakness. And so they come to her with a proposal. Seduce him and see where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him. And they begin to believe if he's got strength like this, he must have something like a lucky rabbit's foot. There's got to be something that's given him this type of power, something external. So they come to Delilah and they say, seduce him, find out. And so she begins to think, well, how do I do that? Well, maybe a game. Maybe a game like truth or dare. Look at verse 6 with me in your Bibles. Notice what she says. Please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound that one could subdue you. Three different times she tries to find out Samson's secret and the whole time you need to understand with this game that she's concocted for him to play, there are Philistines hiding in the other room in case she has success. Men hiding like a game. So she would bind him. Him not knowing... Anyone was in the house, but yet they were ready to pounce just in case he actually lost his power. Now, verse 7, she ties him with seven guitar strings. Verse 10, she ties him with new ropes. Verse 13, she weaves his golden locks with a sewing pin. Each time he is telling her, this is the source of my power. As he would go to sleep, then she would wake him and say, Samson, part of the game, the Philistines are upon you. And he would break loose. And you can imagine, you can see almost there being a chuckle. And as he broke loose, the Philistines in the other room would stay hidden and say, he's still got his power. Let's get out of here. And they would probably leave. So the game went something like that. Now, when her games were failing... And the Philistine lords, the five kings, began to put a little bit more pressure on her. They were not too happy with her. She then turns to manipulation. Look at verse 15. Notice what she says. How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? Verse 16. And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. Stop there. You can almost see the arguments, right, in the marriage. <laughs> it's about trust and love. You can hear her saying, but you need to be vulnerable with me. If you really love me, we wouldn't keep secrets. There are no secrets with real love. And she presses him day in and day out, day in and day out, day in and day out, until finally, verse 17, he breaks. Finally, he told her all his heart. Verse 18, when Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines. All his heart means all of his story. She's been pressing him, pressing him, pressing him, pressing him. Finally, he says, okay. It started with my parents. An angel of the Lord came to meet my dad. My mom couldn't have a child. It told my mom that she was going to have a child, but not just any child, a Nazarite. And he proceeded to explain the entire story to her and about how if he broke his Nazarite vow by cutting his hair, then he would lose his 
power. And she realizes for the first time, he told me. He told me the truth this time. Now, everything was in place. Verse 19. She made him sleep on her knee. And then she called the Philistines out from their hiding place. They cut his hair. And now let's play our game again for the last time. Verse 20. The Philistines, Samson, they're upon you. This time was different. He did not know that the Lord had left him. They seized him. They put out his eyes. They put him in slavery to work in the grain mills. You know, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you've received the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. Christ is in you. And we are blind. We too are enslaved to the flesh. We're powerless without the power of God. And so how does the believer lose the power of God? How do we do what we see happening here? And the answer is because sin is so deceptive. When we go from a position of grace and dependence on His power, on the presence of Christ with us, to a position of self-sufficiency, sinful pleasures begin to work on us like Delilah, ensnaring us, entrapping us, tempting us to see our sin as a game that we will be so much the better to play with no consequences, just fun. But the aim is the spiritual death to cause us to be enslaved to the flesh, to blind us spiritually, and to leave us to slavery, the same as Samson. When we move from dependence on His grace and power for all things to self-sufficiency, to the I got this attitude, we are going down the road of Samson, a road of spiritually blindness, enslaved and powerless. When I was 21 years old, a few of my friends were working at a, a ranch in Wyoming, and they invited me to come up. And so I drove my 1986 Chevy Blazer with 270,000 miles all the way to Wyoming because that's a smart thing to do, especially with no spare tire. And that's what I did. And we pulled in, and my buddy Steve said, hey, look, we're going to go and float the Snake River tomorrow. Great. We had a great morning. We floated the snake in our takeout spot. We got out, and he said, oh, man. He had a fearful look in his face. And I said, what is it? He said, Rusty, there are three buffalo right there. And I said, okay, so what? And he said, buffalo kill more people here than bears. And I thought, yeah, right. <laughs> Everything in me wanted to go get a selfie with them, right? Everything in me wanted to get my cookies out of my lunch and go feed them and give them a few strokes. They're so cute. And so he said, follow me. And we went around the buffalo. We got back on our trail. And I said, see, nothing to it. And then I heard footsteps. Here he comes running past me. And I looked, and we were being charged by three buffalo. And I ran. Now, sin is deceptive. It wears masks. It is an ugly beast. But when it knocks on the door of our hearts, it is always dressed like a Girl Scout. 
right? Just wanting us to come in and buy some cookies. My friends, understand this. God deals with us in grace as we deal with him in obedience. Often, like Samuel, our, our sins quench his presence in our life. And as Christians, yes, we can't lose his presence. We're sealed, but we can lose his power and we can lose the incredible comfort of the Spirit. Now, the opposite is also true. He blesses obedience and faithfulness with incredible graces. Through the Spirit, our obedience and his grace and power, they run together. The more we know we follow Jesus, the more we obey him, the more the Spirit works like a benefactor in your life, transforming us, filling our lives with the power to love, to have real joy regardless of circumstance, to know true peace and hardships, to practice patience, to display kindness, and to have an overall heart that's warm towards knowing God and loving people. Second, like Delilah, sin wins through persistence. Temptation comes like a charming voice, with a charming voice, with a charming message. It tells us things like, look, this thing can be done in secret in your closet. Just, just click that button. Everything's going to be fine. It tells us things like, look, it's the smallest of turning away from God. It's okay. Or maybe you hear, it's a mere trifle compared to what other people do. Or, remember, God's grace is always sufficient, which is certainly true. You'll be fine. It always comes with the most modest of proposals like Delilah. Let's just play a game. It never starts with the extremes. But once the door is open, it grows and carries momentum and takes us to the worst possible places. It begins to control our hearts like Samson, quenching the presence of God, taking us to spiritually dead places, blinding us to knowing our Savior and experiencing the glory of His presence in our life. And so maybe that's you. Maybe Delilah is knocking on your door day in and day out, day in and day out with such extreme temptation, and you're just saying, I'm tired. I'm tired of fighting. What do you do? Let's close with these things. The duty is ours, but the power is His. Romans 8, 13. If you by the Spirit put to death the deeds of the flesh, you're going to live. Notice, it is the Spirit of Christ in you. Without His assistance and aid, all your efforts is fruitless. The same power that was in Samson is in you. And the same dependence that Samson had on God for power is so yours. What does that mean? Three last things. First, flee to Christ. Christ is in you, Christian. First, we flee to Him in prayer, asking for grace and strength. But then I flee to Him through His Word filling my mind with what is true. And as I do that, it absolutely crucifies sinful thoughts. Flee. Second, faith in Christ. You are in Christ. Praise God, you are justified. You are righteous in His sight on your best days and your worst days because Christ was crucified for you, not because you live a perfect and morally... Uh, uh, 
high life. It's all because of faith in Christ. And so as Delilah pounds you, and maybe you struggle with that, and maybe you give in, trust, come back to the gospel. I am righteous, not because of my good or my bad, but because of my faith in Christ. Last thing, fight. Please listen. Sin always dies a violent death. Not an easy and natural death. And you have to continue to fight. Don't quit. The Christian life is like a river. It's not like a lake. If you do nothing, it takes you away from the Lord. It moves you downstream. It's not a lake where you can just do nothing, not pursue God, and you stay in the same place spiritually. By the power of the Holy Spirit, through Christ in us, you can experience more and more growth, victory, joy, rest, and Christ-likeness in our life. And it becomes easier and easier to say no to those strong temptations of the Delilahs that pursue us. Father, we want to be men and women who recognize that we are utterly dependent for, for Christ-likeness to have a deep, intimate relationship with you, to walk in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, these things, to really be able to love our neighbor, to live a transformed, Christ-centered life. We're dependent upon your power. Lord, and your Holy Spirit. And I pray for every believer here that when temptation comes, when Delilah comes, in whatever form it comes at us, Father, we would flee, flee to our Savior, flee to His Word. We'd preach the Gospel to ourselves in our struggle, Lord, and rest. Rest in Jesus. And then fight by your strength and your power. Fight. Lord, give us the grace to do that, to live as your people. For that is the joyful life. In Jesus' name, amen.